Hello, everybody. Well, we are back with Backport Stories with Chuck Stead. And what are we going to talk about this week, Chuck? Well, this week we're going to pick up with the theme of kindergarten, and the story is called Corner Duty. Okay, that sounds great. So we are here again with Scott and myself and Chuck. And without any further ado, let's talk about some Corner Duty. Yes. Attending kindergarten in the fall of 1958 was no burden in my life. Once I accepted that much of my weekdays would find me occupied in the brick extension of the old Hilburn School, I grew to enjoy the experience. Along with Jojo, Tadpole, and Cindy Maloney, there was a gaggle of fellow urchins who pretty much represented the village at large. Children with darker skin than mine, Negro, Indian, or both, joined in with the light-skinned children and such differences were hardly noticed. Miss Morrison, our daily companion and guardian and teacher, was in her late twenties. It was from her that I first learned the pledge to the flag. Now Timothy, whose grandfather was very much an Indian, loved shouting out the pledge, once he got it down, that is. Jojo tended to mumble his way through it, and Tadpole was quick to substitute new words during the pledge. I, I pledge my sneegeance to the flag of the new United Plates of America and to the Republic of Witches' Hands, hesitation under frogs with liberty and justice farewell. I pledged according to whoever stood nearest to me. Sometimes I just moved my mouth and made no sound. I, I didn't know what it meant, words said to a flag. During my stay at kindergarten, I landed in the corner for various reasons. Jojo and I, mostly, were regularly sent to the corner. Miss Morrison eventually told Tessie that I did not seem to understand that this was a punishment. She thought I might even enjoy standing in the corner, like being special. She suggested that Tessie explain this to me. Tessie reassured her that she would take up the subject with me if ever I needed it at home, which was unlikely. I would learn in the coming years that Tessie enjoyed disagreeing with all of her children's teachers. One afternoon, when I was walking home from school with Tadpole, who was rattling away about, uh, I don't know, a museum that housed dinosaur bones or something, we passed a village church where an old, dark-skinned man was sitting on the ground. He called out to us, Boys, boys, come here, please. I started toward him, but Tadpole pulled me back. No, don't. No, that's a, a black man. I looked at him. Well, he really wasn't black. His color was more cocoa brown. His hair was almost white. The man called out again. Boys, come here, please. He was soaked with sweat, his shirt damp and glued to his cocoa-brown chest. He sucked heavily at the air. Sweat dropped off his brow and trickled along his cheeks like tears. He said, You gotta get me some water. Glass of water. I need some water. You understand? I need some water. I nodded my big round head. Tadpole was standing, frozen to the other side of the street. I ran around to the nearest house, which was Old Man Long's house, and I banged on the door, and Mrs. Long showed up, and I was let inside. The old man in the churchyard shifted his weight and tried to swallow more air. He looked over at Tadpole, who stood like a statue, staring at him. He worked up a smile for the boy. Slowly at first, and then more quickly, Tadpole crossed over to him. He held out a small, gray, plastic dinosaur and said, Know what this is? The old man studied it. Dragon? Tadpole shook his head. No, there's no such things as dragons. 
Oh, don't tell that to St. George. Who? Dragon Slayer. Just like some of them knights on that roundish table sort of thing. Uh, out there, they're fighting dragons. Tadpole hesitated. Well, I know there's no such things. But if there was such things, then why would they want to fight them? The man wiped his forehead. Because uh, nature, uh, it was wild then. Uh, uh, man had to come around to control it. He looked into Tadpole's face. Don't you know that, boy? Meanwhile, I followed Mrs. Long out of her house. She was carrying a tall glass of water for the man. He drank it slowly in short, happy sips. He thanked her. He thanked me. He looked at Tadpole, and he winked. After he finished the whole glass of water, he rose up to his feet. Now he could breathe again, more regular than before. He smiled, and I saw that he had a golden tooth around the side of his mouth. Oh, I wanted one of those things. Again, he thanked Mrs. Long. He looked down at us, and he smiled warmly. That was when Tadpole said to him, So, like you're a Negro. Mrs. Long cleared her throat. The man shook his head and said, No, son, I'm a man. That's what I am. I'm a man. Tadpole shifted his weight from one foot to the other. He was unsure about this just-a-man thing but he was intrigued about the dragon thing. He told them all, all of them, who were standing there in front of him. He spoke to us about Brontosaurus. Brontosaurus apparently is immense inside. It was a vegetable-eating dinosaur. He told us the average length, weight, and height of the animal. The old man whistled in appreciation of Tadpole's knowledge. Little Tad, having drawn so much attention, celebrated with a jig. He danced about reciting various Latin names of prehistoric animals I'd never heard of. And as we continued our walk along Mountain Avenue, Tad launched into a rambling lecture on herbivores, which have lost their time here on the planet because, well, maybe they ate something bad. Mm, I agreed. Vegetables could be bad. I had dropped into the study of a single idea and started to ignore him. This was my habit, blocking out the world around me to comprehend something. Adults observed this, and that they felt I was easily lost in dreams. But if these moments were dreams, I was determined to resolve them. In this case, I focused on the word Negro. It was a curious word, to be sure, one I'd heard used by nearly every adult in my life, but not always in that way. They had another way of saying it, that bit off hard and angry. Could it be that the adults were mostly hard and angry? There also seemed to be some rules around the use of the word. Like, in my family's house, Tessie objected to the word, although I heard her say it, that is the hard and angry one, a couple of times. And my sister Muffin, who went to a big school and wore a maroon jumper and a matching cap to go with it, strongly objected to the hard version of the Negro word. When Muffin talked about the brown people, she used the regular word Negro and sometimes the word African. She told me brown people, a lot of them, came from a place called Africa, and they, they were stolen from that place by white people, a lot of them. She also told me that in my lifetime, all of this would change, and that I would be able to make things better if I worked very hard. So I promised myself that I would never steal any brown people from Africa. Still, the use of the word by adults puzzled me. So upon arriving at home, on that day, I planned to question an adult who happened to be my mom, Tessie. 
She, too, had something to discuss with me. Miss Morrison had phoned her concerning my confusion over corner punishment. I was playing with some little letterly serum figurines on the living room rug when she came in and sat on the edge of the cast-iron radiator. And she looked at me, and I looked at her. She was wearing a yellow silk shirt and a polyester pants. They were also some yellow powder, I could see, clinging to the waves of her hair. This was the airborne dust of a prescription weight-loss drug that filled the assembly line room all day long. She worked there, and the dust would end up in her hair, and she used to joke about this with Walt. She'd say, I'm soaking in the prescription diet without even paying for it. I studied the yellow flakes and thought of them as something magical. Tessie considered her topic. The problem was, she never had me do corner duty at home. There never seemed a reason for it. Why put a child in the corner? So she approached the issue by telling me that there are right ways and wrong ways of doing things, and she suggested some of them, like you can drink milk with your mouth, and then the wrong way would be if you drank it with your hands, which was silly, and I laughed. And she went on to another illustration that involved chewing candy with your teeth as opposed to a wrong way of chewing it with your fingers, and I laughed. And she was just contemplating yet a third illustration when I asked her about the word. I said both ways of saying it, one way that I'd heard and another way that seemed angry. She drew back, she widened her eyes, and she demanded to know where I'd heard this word spoken. So I explained that I'd heard it from most every adult in my life. And I listed them, my father, my uncles, my aunts, my neighbors, and then I included her. This then became the first and only time that Tessie sentenced me to corner duty. Well, comeuppance. Who got it, though? Her or you? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. So what was corner duty? You just stand in the corner, it's your punishment until you get tired, and and then eventually they say, okay, that's enough, and you, you come back. But oh. it's the idea is they, they isolate you for a little while. And, and, and in school, they isolate you to, to illustrate that you're being isolated. It, it really isn't punishment. I never saw it as punishment. In fact, in Miss Morrison's class, I liked it because there was too much activity, too many things coming at me all the time. And I was a pretty focused kid. So when they put me in a corner, I could just focus on one thing, like a spot on a wall or some sound behind me. I could just focus on that and close my eyes. So it really wasn't working uh, as a punishment. That's why she talked to Tessie about it. Didn't work for me either. Yeah, They put me in the corner. I'd wait till the teacher wasn't looking at me, and I'd start clowning around, <laughs> waving to everybody, and things like that. Then the class would laugh, and she'd turn around right away, the, the nun usually. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bear down on me, like, what, what did you do? What did you say? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. I'm just, you know. Years later, in fifth grade, uh, we had this classic nun named Freddie, old sister Marion Frederick. And... She came up with the most unique and creative ways of punishing you that would be uh, to, to lead to embarrass you. You know, the idea would be to embarrass you, like you know, uh, and and they were psychologically damaging. They were really not good things to do to a kid, except we were ten years old. So we were starting to catch on to the idea. Okay, I got to dress up now. I got to wear the girls' beanies now, and that's supposed to be demeaning to me. Ha ha! Don't I look funny in a beanie? You know. So it it kept it frustrated her 
to punish us as much as it frustrated us to spend this time being punished. But it was still deemed necessary. She put a kid, this put the put this one kid to sit in the garbage can, the wastebasket. Oh, that's the worst. And she put <laughs> his ass, she shoved him so his ass was all the way down in the wastebasket. So his legs are up in the air and his ass is down and he looks sort of like a, a frog folded in your pocket kind of a thing, you know. And then she didn't let him out for an hour. Yeah. I mean, he was there for a whole hour. You know, after a while, he, he didn't care that he was there. You know, after a while, it was, it, it was stupid. Yeah. But she needed to do this because, you know, she was the authority figure and she didn't know what else to do with him because he was a wise guy. And boy, did that give him a lot of credit with us. <laughs> the longer right. she kept him in there, the more credible he was to us. Yeah, what he, a guy. He, he reached levels of heroic proportion because <laughs> he took it, you know. He took it. He was there the whole time. Yeah. yeah. Tough guy, right? Yep. yep. Say they're a lot more refined. Oh, right? yes. You can't do anything. No, now it's... Um, well, first, I don't know what's more surprising that the nun did that or your reaction that oh yeah <laughs> like that was a thing yeah, <laughs> i right. can't believe here we the, go unbelievable um no it's um nowadays it is very important to keep everyone together and to try to to display how we work together to accomplish things now there's always going to be someone or some people who don't fit into that. And usually those are the people that I'm looking for in the music class because if you're getting into trouble because you can't keep still, you put an instrument in their hands and all of a sudden they, got something to do. they know what they're yeah. doing, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I have had times where, and also we've had so much progress in, in being able to diagnose certain things. So sure. you know it's not, you know, a willful thing. There's a... There's a reason for everything. So if there's a kid who comes into the music room, and usually I have the chairs set up in either a semicircle or two rows or whatever, but I've had many times over the years where a kid can't sit still, so I let them pace back and forth behind the, the last row. So they're not distracting anybody, but they can move. Just by moving doesn't mean you're not listening. You may not look like you're listening to others but mm -hmm. sometimes that's how it works so sure. so you have to kind of come at it from a, a different angle and in any situation where there is a bureaucracy where everyone needs to do something the same you're, you're gonna have issues because none of us are the same well joey yeah. and i are of a generation that we recall the nuns smacking the crap out of oh us. yeah yeah absolutely Which physical they can't do this now, right but they right. did oh they sure did yeah, I can remember Sister Julia hitting a little fella named Dominic Pompanio, uh, just slapping him back and forth across the face. And mm. he was a little bit of a wise guy, mm -hmm. but man, it just, I remember it was such a shocking thing. It was in the cafeteria, yeah. it was in front of all these other kids. And this nonsense about putting kids in garbage cans, I, I, I witnessed that. I mean, yeah. these are – see, you, you taught in the age of psychology, you know, mm -hmm. where, where we said, oh, wait a minute now. We're actually damaging human beings. <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> we're scarring them for the rest of their lives here. Maybe we shouldn't do that. You know, maybe that's not a good idea. But, but yeah, when I was a kid, um, I, there was this one nun. I'm sure that she rests in peace now because this is 
many years ago, and she was a, a rather older woman at the time. And she had been a, a teacher at a college, but she all of a sudden showed up in our third grade class at Our Lady of the Visitation in Paramus. And her name was Sister Mary Edmund. She had problems. I mean, it was, uh, now I look back and I think, yeah, this definitely, there were some serious problems. And she would ask the boys to go to the back closet from time to time and get me a piece of red construction paper. And there was no red construction paper in the closet. <laughs> and they would come back oh, up God. and tell her, uh, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't find any, any red construction. And she would slap them. Oh, right. We're doing that. Set up, set up, justifying yeah. her need to right. control you. And, you know, after two or three times, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, uh, I, I need a plan here. So I kept a piece of red construction yes, paper. Yes, I was hoping you were going to say that. Pulled <laughs> it up and in my pocket and I took it to school with me every day. And sure enough, my moment came and I proudly walked back to the all, you know, the little closet in the back of the room. And I went inside and I rustled around some papers and stuff like that and everything. And then I came out of the closet and I held it behind my back and I walked up to the front and right up to her desk. And she's sitting right there and she's waiting to, to give me a wallop, you know, because that's what she did. And I pulled that out from behind my back and I unfolded it and I gave it to her very proudly. And she, it was as if I had put ants in her hand she drew back in, in a kind of shock and, and, and just kind of looked at me and then got up walked halfway across the front of the room turned around looked back at me again and then walked out of the room and uh everybody kind of looked at me and i had a big grin on and they were like nervous everybody was nervous and i just kind of shrugged my shoulders went back to my seat and then she came back in and just stared at me for a while and then sat down but I was, I yeah, <laughs> decided you, you, I was going to prepare for this. Yeah, you survived. Yeah. You survived. Yeah. And you, in a funny kind of a way, I mean, I don't want to justify her brutal domination of children, but in a funny kind of a way, you passed the test. You came forward and illustrated that you could pass the test and survive her, outwit her well, at her own game. You want to know something? She never did it again. Yeah. Mm. She never yeah. did it again. After that, well, See, that's because that 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 piece of red paper actually materialized in the closet by God, who was sending her a message. <laughs> cut it out. Mm. Well, I, that I, could have gone a very different way. You could have had a, a major beating. Oh yeah, <laughs> I definitely could have. Yeah, you and, walked the line, man. Oh man, that, that was, was great. It was really something. We we had a nun, seventh grade nun, uh, Sister Catherine Ann Luke, and she never laid a hand on anybody. And one time. There were, there were kids talking, and she was pretty good. She could have real conversations. And some kid, I won't say the nun's name, was complaining about a nun in sixth grade who regularly smacked you, and they were complaining. And she said, well, there are different approaches. There are different people. There are different kinds of ways. But the kid was going on about it, and the kid said, Sister, you don't hit anybody. And she said these words. I will never forget it. She said, I can't tell you not to hit people if I hit people. Mm -hmm. mm. See that? Yeah, that was... She uh, got it. Wow, she was brilliant. Yeah, we all have none stories. If you go to Catholic school, Scott... <laughs> well, uh, it's funny because my first year, I wasn't even a certified teacher yet in Pittsburgh, um, but 
the college where I was going to, that was at university, Duquesne University, a college, a um, Catholic uh, university, became a sister school to a local Catholic high school while I was there. And I was teaching in the Saturday community music program, and I was getting certified, but I wasn't there yet. So I wasn't allowed to teach in public school yet, but the nuns wouldn't care. And they wanted, they wanted to be part of this thing called the International Baccalaureate, which was a higher standard curriculum across the different disciplines. But you needed a music program. And they hadn't had one for at least you know 30 years. People don't remember ever having music there. Yeah. So in order to comply, they went to the music department. And the music, the head of the Saturday school said, would you like to start set up and run a high school music program and she said i guarantee you you will never get this opportunity in the rest of your career and i said yeah okay now i taught a little bit i taught private lessons i did a few you know little classes here and there but i never did a whole program so i went out there the music room was a permanent trailer that was attached to the rest of the building mm-hmm. nowadays i would never be in a room with kids so isolated from other adults. Sure. But back then I was like, I will actually be able to do what I know I need to do and not have it's all like the you other... Had, it's like you had your own little school. It was yeah. my own little kingdom, yeah. right? Yeah. And we had a chorus, we had band, and when I say band, that meant a guitarist, a drummer, a bass player, a trumpet, and an oboe. <laughs> I mean, like, wow. It was whatever there was. The oboe snuck right. in there. Huh? Right. I know. Yeah. And they played with the 12 kids in the chorus because, you know, we just made it up as, as we went. And uh, it was a great learning experience great for ex- me. Yeah. But the first day I was there, I went into this faculty lounge for lunch. And the nuns say, uh, we're going to, for our first lunch, we want to not only say grace, but to, to have some kind of, a, what are we going to pray for this year? Now, I'm sitting there like, I am so out of my league. I haven't prayed ever. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know. So they went around and they had all these different great ideas. And they, they got to me and it's like, world peace. I'm going to pray for world peace. Oh, good, pass, uh, next. That, that <laughs> works. That like, works. Ah. Yeah. And we were starting to eat finally. And um, I said, you know, I'm not really sure how the um, structure of the, the classes work and all these things that I'm sharing. And... Um, one of the nuns, the older lady was saying to another saying, well, you know, we, as far as discipline goes, you know, we don't, we don't uh, hit, we don't have corporal punishment anymore. And the oldest lady around the table says, oh yeah, we gave that up like four or five years ago. And this is in like 1994, (laughs) (laughs) 95, you know, like, so yeah, it's, it changed, but not that long. Well, now I guess it's long ago, but yeah. 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 Well, we had sister Rita punch. That's what we called her. Because oh. she'd come up and she'd give you a good punch in the arm, you know, right in the upper arm there. So we had her. Now, Sister Michelle, she she was more of a psychological uh Oh, the psychological <laughs> ones were oh, really God. brilliant. I mean, the things that they could pull on you. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, she, yeah. she she got you. Uh, oh, boy. She she would tear you up if you didn't serve mass cry. It was an altar boy, you know. Right, so right. Things like that and everything else. But But, you know, actually she was a very good teacher. She really was. She just she knew how to press your buttons and um, make when, you want to jump w- out a window. When, when, <laughs> <laughs> when I was in high school, I went to Albertus Magnus. It's a co-ed high school, of course, in Rockland County. 
And uh, there was a, a, a anybody who's listening to this uh, went at that time is going to know <coughs> this is going to immediately throw them back. There was uh, a nun named Sister Ann Roberta. He, she was the principal, and we called her Bubba. And uh, I, I'm not sure why we called her Bubba, except Sister Bubba, except that she was tough. She was a <laughs> tough broad, and and she was she was strong, you know. And I saw her on more than one occasion level off with a, a kid that was just as tall and looked just as strong as her, and and it didn't matter, you know. She'd go at you, and she never struck me, but she pulled my hair. She had this habit of going down the hallway in her crepe sole shoes, very quietly walking along. And if boys' hair, this is the 60s, mind you, if your hair was over your shirt collar, it was too long. And it was like a little rat tail back there. And she would reach behind you, grab it, and yank it down. Literally, it would be like whiplash. (laughs) She'd yank it down. And one time she did that to me. I was right near the physics lab, and I was walking along, and she kept those damn crep sole shoes. You didn't hear her coming. And she pulled down so hard, I fell flat on my ass. I went right down. And, you know, that was, that was for, par for the course. That's 1968. That was par for the course. And we were, we were not little kids anymore, but, you know, the, she, was, she ruled with an iron fist. Yeah. She was a tough gal. Oh, yeah. They could be very... Very, you know, really almost cruel sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. And now, you know, mind you, there were some that were absolutely the most wonderful people I'll ever remember. But and brilliant. Some of them were scholars. Some oh, yeah. Some of them were really brilliant. Oh, yeah. No, they were, they were good teachers. There's mm-hmm. no question about that. But I remember being in, a, in an assembly one time. Uh, you know, I'm in fifth grade, and I'm, it's chilly. The doors were open, and it's cold. So I, I go over, and I, am you know, rub my arm a little bit, and... You know, sister is walking by, and she says, "You're fat enough to stay warm. You don't have to do that." Whoa! Oh yeah, really, really bad. Oh yeah. But the the upside of this, this is when I saw mom, my mother. Yeah. You know, really take over because I I came home and I was pretty upset about that because you know the the kids laugh and everything else, and um, she said, "You know, you seem really down. What's what's going on? You know." And I said, "Had a bad day," and then I told her, "What?" What did she say to you? Like that? <laughs> That's Aunt Peggy. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, and I said, well, you know, she said, all right, come on, let's go. I said, well, where? We're going there now. I know that the, the convent is right next to the school. We'll go to the convent if we have to. <laughs> and she read this woman, the riot act. This, this gal could not get a word out of her mouth. But but that was it, boy. She right. never crossed that line again. <laughs> you know, we used to say Tessie sent us to Catholic school so she'd have an excuse to argue with nuns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it was back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then there was also uh, Father Garrity was another you know guy who he wasn't crazy about the nuns, you know, and they would you know ridicule our serving of the mass or something like that. And he came into the class one time, and again, I don't know, maybe my mother gave him a call or something like that, and he said, you know. I'll take care of the the altar boys. That's my job, okay? Your job is to teach. My job is to take care of the altar boys. If there's any questions or any problems, I'll let them know. You don't have to worry about that, sister, okay? We straight on that? (laughs) You know, of course, they would. Well, we've finally gotten the stories out about those nuns that turned us all into raving lunatics through our, our younger life. No, I, I guess everybody has a nun story. We've, we've told quite a few of them today. Let me at least say this. 
there were, as I said before, there were some really brilliant and wonderful teachers who happened to be nuns. And like everything else in the world, they've come a long way. We've come a long way. And I'm sure things are much, much better now. But back in the 50s and 60s, we lived in the era of spare the rod, spoil the child. That's the way it was done. And, you know, many times parents were fine with that. But we've learned a lot. And uh, fortunately now, you know, in Scott's generation, Scott Lewis, our maestro here (laughs) in the group, uh, you know, they do things a little bit more thoughtfully. And I think it's better. So, with that, thanks so much, everybody, for listening. And, uh, Chuck, what are we going to talk about next week? Uh, Next week, we're going to, again, we're going to do another story from kindergarten. And this one is called Hooky at Indian's Cove. Hooky at Indian's Cove. You know, these are the most formative moments of your life. Yeah. What happens in kindergarten stays with you pretty much for the rest of the way through. Yeah. Yeah. So, looking forward to that. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. And now for a word from our favorite sponsor, the Montgomery Book Exchange. It's your hometown used bookstore located at 61A Clinton Street in the heart of the Montgomery, New York Business District. Folks, you're going to love the book exchange. This is a place where great books survive the test of time, where you can enjoy a book read by readers a generation before you. You might even find notes in the margins giving you an insight as to what mattered most to that previous reader. That's how the Montgomery Book Exchange turns a great book into a shared experience. And the Montgomery Book Exchange is known throughout the Hudson Valley and beyond for innovations like their 20 for $20 book stacks or their intimate author readings and signing experiences. How about their member-driven book club selections and book club talks, their monthly Zoom and in-person book auctions, and Handmade Montgomery. This is a wonderful event featuring local artisans and hundreds of beautiful handmade crafts and keepsakes. And how about getting store credits in the form of book bucks? Bring your well-loved or gently used books in for a store credit. Now, it's closed on Mondays, but it's open Tuesdays through Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. and on Sunday from 12 noon to 4 p.m. Want more information? Just go to MontgomeryBookExchange.com or call them at 845 764 1787. That's 845-764-1787. Now, there's one more thing. They even have a special location at 8 Factory Street dedicated to your young readers. They call it the Children's Chapter, and it features a reading garden where your children can discover the joy of reading in a wonderful and stimulating learning environment. Now, my kids are all 30-something now, but I have four beautiful grandchildren, Jimmy, Sienna, Stella and JJ, and I'm bringing all four of them down to the children's chapter. Also at this location, you'll find Miss Claire's Music Cupboard, featuring the award-winning research-based Kinder Music Program. The children's chapter is open Wednesdays through Saturdays. Check the website for specific class times that match your child's age. You can contact the children's chapter at 845-522-9652. MontgomeryBookExchange.com, your hometown used bookstore. You're going to love this place. Listening to Backport Stories with Chuck Stepp. 
The song that you hear at the beginning and the end of the episode is Flyer's Rag, composed by Mr. Scott Lewis. Our producer is Joe Serino, and our cover photography is done by Karen Serino. We'll be back with another episode each Friday morning, so please subscribe, click the like button, share with family and friends, and join us each week for another Backport Story. <laughs>